You're listening to the Friday Morning Podcast with hosts Bill Ballinger and Dennis Denno discussing Michigan politics and political history. The Friday Morning Podcast has you covered. Hey, Bill, before we go to our guest, let's talk a little bit about our partner, DeadlineDetroit.com. Well, Deadline Detroit is a one-stop online news site that aggregates the best stories from local, national, and international media about Metro Detroit. It also produces original reporting and provides commentary from top-rate local journalists. Great. Now let's go to our guest. And with me now is Caitlin Kivel. She is a Lansing-based reporter for The Gander. She has a background in political science and explaining the complexities of local government, from lame duck sessions to the impact of court cases. She is originally from East China, Michigan, and a longtime Kalamazoo resident, and is currently living in Lansing, Michigan. Welcome to the Friday Morning Podcast, Caitlin Kibble. Hi, it's great to be here. So, let's talk a little bit about the publication you work for, The Gander. How does someone get a gander at The Gander? And tell us a little bit about your publication. What do you focus on? Well, our website is gandernewsroom.com. We're affiliated with Courier Newsroom, which is our national brand. Um, And we focus on filling the gap left behind as um, small local newspapers have been dying off in recent years. We're a very lean, small team, and we're covering things from all across the state. I mean, you listed all the places that I alone have lived. So, um, yeah, we reach out to Kalamazoo. We reach out to the UP. We reach out to, you know, um, Dwajak. You know, we're we're looking for all of the places that there are stories that need to be told. So, are you do you consider yourselves to be a statewide publication that focuses focuses on local issues, or you take statewide issues and make them interesting for local communities, or how does that work? Both. Um, we look at everything through a multi-level lens. So we look at what local communities are doing in the larger context of the state, what the state is doing in the larger context of the nation, and how what the nation is doing affects you at your home. And so do you consider the gander to be left-leaning, right-leaning, to the center, or where, where does the gander stand? I would say that the gander stands with fact-based reporting, that we look at what the information is, is and we synthesize it we do highlight progressive empowerment but we're not we're not a biased publication in any way all right so let's talk a little bit about the elections we're less than three weeks away from the presidential election and numerous other elections obviously nationwide what what do you see going on in michigan and are you willing to make any predictions about what's going on Oh, Michigan's going to be close. It's going to be close up and down the ballot. Um, I, in particular, am really interested in John Hoadley and Fred Upton in Kalamazoo, because that's that's my town. Um, That's going to be a really tight race. The Senate race is going to be a hot one. I mean, just look at the ads that have been flying around. And... I think that while Biden has a really good lead, 
like it's great for him right now looking like, I would say that it's not enough to be comfortable. And I think that uh, Representative Debbie Dingell agrees with me on that. She's mentioned a few times that just because polling numbers look in a particular direction, it doesn't mean that anybody should count Michigan as being a given in their column. Let's talk a little bit about the Upton-Hoadley race. We've had Fred Upton on this podcast before, and i got to admit, he's a, even though I'm a Democrat, he seemed like a pretty likable guy. Um, I mean, what, do you, what do you see going on in that race? I see Fred Upton, who has for a while had some really tough competitors, up against uh, John Hoadley, who has done a lot for Kalamazoo. Um, John was responsible for Kalamazoo's LBGT non-discrimination ordinance through the One Kalamazoo campaign. And so going all the way back to that in, I think, 2012, um, he's been dedicating his time and energy to that community. So I think that's going to make this a really exciting one to watch. Yeah, but that that district is more than just Kalamazoo. I mean, no question that... Oh, that's true. It's Portage, it's Texas Township, Um, but he represents a large section of that community right now in the state legislature. And so do you think, uh, I mean, obviously Fred Upton is trying to present trying to portray himself as a, as a moderate Republican. Is that, is that not working right now? I think that Fred Upton has done a lot to stand with President Trump, which makes selling himself as a moderate a difficult sell, not an impossible one. He is fairly well-known in Kalamazoo, but I would caution again that anything, anyone who thinks that anywhere in Michigan is safely in their column should be careful because he has also been in tighter races in the last few cycles. Right. So let's stick to the west side of the state. You're an expert on that. I mean, what do you do? You have any any insight you can give us on the second congressional race, which is uh, Republican uh, Hoisinga, who just announced he has COVID, and the third congressional race, which is currently Amash, but the Republican is uh, a person by the last name of Meyer. Do you, do you have any insight on those races? I think the race for Amash's seat is going to also be, and I'm sounding like a broken record, it's going to be close. Um, I think that... Meyer is obviously a name that carries a lot of weight in Michigan. Um, I also think, though, that Amash's district supported Amash and so is looking for a moderate stance. And from what I'm looking at the candidates, I think that they both provide a real run for the other candidates' money on moderacy. Right. So... Going back to Kalamazoo, and I'm sorry to keep bouncing around. I mean, I, I've been hearing some people predict that Kalamazoo is the next red county to flip blue. That pretty soon Kalamazoo is going to be a solidly Democratic county. Do you see that? Do you feel that? Or do you think that's a bit of an exaggeration? I think that 
For a long time, Kalamazoo County has been influenced by the city of Kalamazoo being a strong college town. But I also noticed in my time in Kalamazoo that those graduates aren't leaving that often. There's a lot of people who fall in love with the community and stay. And they move to Portage, and they move to Parchment, and they move to other areas around Kalamazoo. They're growing the community. And that could have a real impact on the demographics when it comes to election time. Yeah, I got to I got to tell you, my in-laws uh, live in Battle Creek and I just love Kalamazoo. I mean, it's just such an impressive city. I, oh, I, almost a hidden hidden gem. Gorgeous. Yeah, it is a hidden gem. It's absolutely gorgeous. One of my favorite things that I learned when I first moved there was that shops downtown say have shirts that say Kalamazoo. Yes, it's real. And that is just so <laughs> great to me. I loved that. That was wonderful. Yeah, um, I was I was born on the east side of the state. I live in the middle, but my heart is in Kalamazoo. That's awesome. So let's uh, let's change topics a little bit. One thing the Gander likes to focus on is is education. Do you see education being a big issue uh, in the campaign cycle this year? I think education is always a big issue, but it's especially a big issue this year because. We're looking at a situation where the political battle about reopening schools has hurt students and is showing to worsen the pandemic. Um, The pandemic is another major issue, obviously, and the two major campaign ideas are coming together in a way that matters a great deal to Michigan. We can see the impact it's having on the pandemic by looking at data from COVID Act Now which says that we are in a high-risk category again, which puts us closer to a major outbreak like we saw in April. We also can see from UC San Francisco, which has a tool that estimates how likely it is in any county in America that a random child is an asymptomatic coronavirus carrier. I used this tool this morning to find out that here in Lansing, where I'm living, the chance that one kid in a given classroom of 30 is infectious is 35%. That means that, you know, across, multiply that across the entire county, right? And those kids bring that home when they catch it. But you have President Trump and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos who vehemently pushed for reopening in-person instruction without considering the health consequences, only the political consequences. I also want to highlight State Rep. Lori Pochutsky of Livonia, because she pointed out that through that political fight, educators were almost across the board left out of the discussion. And she was advocating hard to get them at the table for those meetings. And it, it wasn't something that the powers that be were letting happen. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, the reopening of schools, and it was incredibly controversial. And you had Democratic Governor Whitmer, who was more cautious and, and gave, gave locals some, some control over how to open school districts. And you had the Trump administration, and you said uh, Education Secretary DeVos, who basically demanded that schools open. 
Um, and, and, and so you, why, why do you think the Trump administration and Betsy DeVos's uh, response will, did, you know, wasn't the right one? And was Governor Whitmer's response the right, the right approach? I think, as Lori Pahutsky said, that Governor Whitmer made the best deal possible with our legislature. I think that there is no such thing as a perfect solution for how to handle reopening schools. However, the data that we're seeing from the places that have in-person instruction, like I said, the odds of a kid in any given classroom being an asymptomatic carrier is 35%. That tells me that the push to go to all in-person instruction could have consequences and that Michigan's effect, uh, efforts to mitigate that effect have a lot of merit. Yeah, and I also, something I don't, I don't think we talk enough about is, is you know, you talk about uh, a kid who's asymptomatic and bringing that home, but what about bringing it to the teacher, bringing it to the bus driver, bringing it to the janitor? Absolutely. Actually, my mother was a school bus driver until she retired, and that is certainly something that, if she was working, would be a concern for me. Let's uh, let's talk about something kind of fun here. You and I share something in common: a love of blueberries. And you seem to know a lot about blueberries in Michigan. What what is going on? We are one of the few places that blueberries grew naturally wild before cultivation. Um, blueberries are one of our major, like, we always talk about state crops, and we cover a lot of agriculture at the Gander, and one of the things that you talk about are soybeans, and we have some, a large soybean fields and plantations across the state, but we are, if not still the, we are at least one of the top producers of blueberries in the United States, and even in the world. Wow. I, I, I never knew that, and I love blueberries. Do I you, love blueberries. They're my favorite fruit. Do they, do you, are they grown all over Michigan, or is there a certain part of Michigan where you'll find them? I know that in my beloved Kalamazoo area, <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got them just growing out and about. Also, I believe on the... In the some area, I know some places where they grow wild. So I think that most of the Lower Peninsula has blueberries um, growing wild. And I know plenty of people who, in their own personal gardens, grow blueberries. This conversation's making me hungry, so I got one last question for you. You're a big fan of something called Yumacon. What is a Yumacon? Yomacon, sorry, sorry. Yes, Yomacon is a pop culture convention that if it weren't for the uh, virus, I would be preparing for right now because it takes place on the weekend after Halloween every year. Yoma being a type of Japanese ghost. So um, that's where it derives its name. It's one of the largest... um, anime and video game conventions in the United States. I believe it was number nine in the U.S. And uh, it's at the Renaissance Center and Cobo Hall most years, um, every year except for this one. Um, And I like to, I'm a huge nerd. I dress up as characters from video games and stuff. I give 
panel presentations on topics about how um, media covers certain facts in our society. In particular, I specialize in this in how um, media addresses LBGT issues. And so that's uh, my, my passion project. Wow, that's really interesting. So is it anything like Comic-Con? It is a lot like Comic-Con. Um, it is to comic books uh, what Comic-Con is. Yomacon is to video games and uh, Japanese animation. So I actually got one more serious question to ask you that dovetails off this conversation. You said you, t- you, you lecture about how the media covers gay lesbian issues. I mean, how, how, does, the media, how does the media cover that? And, and do you think the media is getting better, more accurate, fairer? Or is it, I mean, I'm fascinated by that. How, I mean, what, what, can, what, can, uh, you, what can you tell us? It's, it's, I would say in general, it's fairly hit and miss. Um, just worldwide, there's been a lot of progress, though. If you look back only um, 20, 30 years, if you saw a character who was lesbian or gay or especially transgender, you would see characters who were the villains. And you don't see that as much anymore. There are still some problematic uh, stereotypes. Um, one that is called bury your gaze is the idea that gay characters meet tragic ends at a disproportionately high rate in media. Um, but there's a movie called the celluloid closet about how media represents, uh, the queer community. And, um, Harvey Firestein said a quote that has stuck with me my entire life since seeing that movie, which is the hunger I felt looking for gay characters in media was to not feel alone. Hmm. You know, I, I, uh, I live in a college town and, and it, it seems like college kids are so much more accepting of the gay lesbian community and it doesn't even seem to phase them or really even be an issue with, with you know, college age and younger kids these days. Do you think that's accurate? I do, and it makes me very proud of my generation. I'm a millennial, and even more proud of Gen Z, who is coming up after me and nipping at my heel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very proud of the way that demographics are destiny in this issue. And to bring it back to education, yeah. I think that education helps with that. I think that, in a way, media representing us in the LBGT community uh, in more positive light helps educate people that we're human too. I want to hit, well, I'm, I'm on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. One more thing, one more thing on schools, which is the importance of school funding. We mentioned a little bit ago that schools were just not ready for the coronavirus. A major reason that is, is because they don't get the kind of funding they need. Um, A 2016 study by the National Council on School Facilities said nationwide schools need an additional $145 billion a year in infrastructure spending. Um, Kim Eberhardt, who teaches English at St. Clair High School, 
said that education has been neglected for decades, and now everyone will see how bad it has been. And that is another quote that just stuck with me when I when she told me that in our reporting. The National Center for Education Statistics said teachers spend out of pocket $500 a year on school supplies. That is before the pandemic. That is before we have to add personal protective equipment and sanitizing to those school supplies. Yeah, Kim Kim Eberhardt was a f- uh, previous guest on the Friday morning podcast, and she she was awesome. And you know, I'm, I'm just she actually mentioned she actually mentioned that to me. Um, <laughs> she, she put, uh, after we featured her at the Gander. She mentioned that a couple of other people reached out to her, and so she mentioned to me going on your podcast. That's awesome, and you still decided to come on. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't always make the wisest life choices. <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, sorry to dovetail here. I mean, I'm, I, I I agree, and I just I just it frustrates me that I, I feel our country ignores ignores our infrastructure, whether it's education or water or roads or the environment. It just I don't know. That definitely needs to change. One of the things that I remember learning when I studied political science, and in particular when I studied um, state and federal spending, was that it's hard to motivate politicians to spend on maintenance because you don't have ribbon cuttings for maintenance. Hmm. You don't have pageantry for maintenance. It's hard to go back to your voters and say, this bridge didn't collapse, vote for me. (laughs) That's not an easy sell. And so it's not, I don't think that politicians don't care. It's that it's hard to get movement toward infrastructure. That's a fascinating, that's a fascinating concept, fascinating thought. And this conversation's gone all over the map, and I really appreciate you being on the Friday morning podcast, Caitlin Kibble from The Gander. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd be happy to come back uh, after the election and after I have a well-deserved break. I don't know where. I'm thinking, though, that I just need like a week of sleep when all this is over. How about Kalamazoo? No! Come back to Kalamazoo! Man, there are restaurants back there that I want to get order out at because, you know. Yeah, little water, yeah. little water Street Coffee. I'm going to give them a shout out. Oh, absolutely. And when we're talking about coffee, Azo Coffee, which provides for a lot of coffee in the area, makes some amazing roasts. Oh, I'll have to check them out. Maybe I'll see you there uh, after the election, Caitlin. Possibly. All right. Thanks again for being on the Friday Morning Podcast. Absolutely. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. And that's it for another edition of the Friday Morning Podcast located at theballingerreport.com and at dentalresearch.com. And we'd like to give a special Friday Morning Podcast thanks to the band Little American Champ (laughs) with the music of this podcast.